Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Oh, man, these are tight. Come on. Kenton? Hey, hi. Hey. Ah. Those are... Liliana's boots? Yeah, I know. I, she keeps complaining about them, saying that they're really uncomfortable when she goes hiking. So uh, I'm trying to put them on, test them for myself. I, this makes no sense to me. What do you mean you're going to test them for yourself? Clearly they don't fit you. You can see that, right? Well, I was hoping I could get into them and then I can see. Do they have an uneven bottom or are they just kind of... What's wrong with them? Maybe there's a rock caught down somewhere in the stuffing. You know, I do wish that sometimes. Having kids. Or even just living with someone. What's that? Oh, if somebody complains about something or they have an issue, don't you wish you could go into what they were feeling or thinking or like with Liliana's shoe, that you could actually fit your foot in there and see what was uncomfortable so that you could help it? Well, of course I wish that. That's why I'm trying. Oh, you're so (laughs) cute. Thanks. Yeah, you could have said that in the beginning. This is like the literal putting yourself in someone else's shoes kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, I suppose that's... That's the essence of wisdom. Oh, Uh, man. Are we on one of these essence of wisdom kicks? Well, yeah. I mean, don't you think it is? I I don't know. I I mean, how are you defining wisdom? How is that different from knowing something? That's a good question. I mean, our, our culture really puts a lot of emphasis on knowledge. You're really smart if you have a lot of knowledge. Okay. We're talking the accumulation of information? Yeah. I was going to say facts at first, but I guess if we have some wisdom, we probably are wise enough to know that that word facts is pretty loaded, but accumulation of information. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, some people think of it as book learning. I've heard it said that way, too. But really, we're trying to just get as many bits of information as we can. The problem is you're never going to get every bit of information. Well, it's undoubtedly useful to have a lot of knowledge at your disposal. But I guess there's kind of a lot of repositories of knowledge that go far beyond anything a human could ever achieve. Like what? Like... Well, I imagine the average laptop computer is capable of holding way more knowledge than any that's human. True, that's true, that's true. A computer could definitely have way more information stored in it. I wonder how long it's going to be before we just have the option to put Google into our brain. <laughs> Isn't Elon Musk working on that? Or I don't something? know, but doesn't that sound kind of scary? I mean, some people, obviously, you could see the coolness of it. Like in your head, you're wondering, oh, I wonder about that. And then you just. Whoosh, download the information from Google, and there you go. Wow. But it is kind of freaky. It's probably on its way. Then we'd have so much knowledge. But the Internet kind of has shown us what happens when we have all this knowledge. Again, not facts, but just information Mm. at our disposal. And there's there's too much for Mm -hmm. any human mind to absorb, even if we had Google in our head. Yeah, we couldn't link it all together and see the bigger picture. Right. And we've seen over and over that it's really easy to get caught in our own, well, what they call an information bubble. Mm, Yes. And how scary it is. We've talked about this in another podcast, how scary it is that 
places use algorithms to put you in that information bubble. Oh, so Google, for instance, we know that we're going to get information that is based on our past search results. So in other words, the knowledge that we're fed is going to correlate with the knowledge that we have been seeking in the past. And we're not going to see a lot of stuff that's outside of that bubble, which means that Republicans go online and just get a bunch of information that is very one-sided and Democrats go online mm. and they see a bunch of information that's completely one-sided and the same with whatever polarization you want to choose. Yeah, pro-choice, pro-life. Or... Especially if you don't know that's out there, then you kind of think, oh, that's that's the news right now or that's what's oh, yeah. in the world. And then, of course, it's even more important and then your position is validated, whatever side you're on. Whoa, freaky. Yeah. Okay, so wisdom, obviously computers don't have wisdom. And that's kind of, well, as far as we know, it's pretty unique to human beings. Yeah, I mean, obviously, again, from a wisdom perspective, we'd say we have no idea what a tree's inner life is like or a dolphin's or mouse's. Yeah, So true. maybe there's beings way wiser than us, but as, as far as our limited perspective... See, I happen to think that plants and animals, aside from human beings, are far wiser than we are, but that's my own personal perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably agree. They don't make as silly of decisions as we do collectively. We're kind of funny creatures. We consider ourselves super hyper-intelligent, but uh, if you kind of look, I'm not sure if our collective actions always equal super hyper-intelligence. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so, that aside, what when we're talking here, what are we talking about with wisdom? What is it? Can you give me a definition for our podcast here? Wisdom. Our episode. I always say podcast, but... Yeah, I know. See, we're not wise enough to know. <laughs> hey, wait a second. <laughs> that's, so, that's knowledge, though. <laughs> this is going to be a difficult one to do with you. <laughs> Boy, wisdom has been pointed to by what we would call wisdom traditions. Ah, but about ching ah. For millennia, the Bible has... The word wisdom in it many, many times. All the Eastern traditions celebrate this thing called wisdom. The great philosophers, they all spoke about wisdom. But but what is it? But what is it? I don't think most of us know what it is. It's this kind of ambiguous quality that some people had mostly in the past. <laughs> mostly in the past. Hey, <laughs> wait a second. I think there's still wise people around today. I think there's some wise people around, but I don't. I, I have to kind of wonder if it's been supplanted by something else. Google? Google. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a crack at it, that we can sum up, this is just summing up because wisdom has lots of different parts to it. We can sum up wisdom is the ability not to get locked down in a single perspective, like one narrow little focus, but to see from various perspectives. So to put yourself in other people's shoes, just like I was doing. You're so wise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. When we are locked down into our single perspective, then there's so much that's lost. Hmm. And we don't see anything outside of that information bubble. However, when we can step out of our own bubble, and we can start to take on different perspectives, 
that is the key to wisdom. It's sort of like foveal vision versus peripheral vision. Yeah. In a way, foveal vision is like you can't see everything in your peripheral vision if you're super focused on a picture on a page or something. You miss stuff that's actually in your vision still. But when you have peripheral vision, well, we were watching the stars last night. And I found that if I stared at one spot, there's a meteor shower going on. If I stared at one spot in the sky, I could see really great the shooting stars there. But only until I opened up my peripheral vision and stopped just focusing, then I could catch out of the corner of my eye, oh, there's one over there. There's one over there. And it's the same with wisdom. We can't just be focused and crystallize one single belief. That's awesome. I hadn't thought of that. But it's something that we teach to the forest monks that rewild you, that difference between that little narrow singular point of vision and having what we call wide angle vision, which is being aware of that point, but also of your peripheral so that you're taking in the whole visual field. And it's transformative in how we interact with nature. Well, I'm thinking now about wisdom and how there are, I don't know what you want to call it, symptoms or signs or roots that you notice in people who are wise. I'm thinking of compassion. I'm thinking of curiosity. I'm thinking of non-attachment. I feel as though when I think of someone who is wise, I also see those qualities in them. Those are things that we're not often taught in our world, you know, to really learn when you're a kid how to be compassionate, how to be curious, how to not attach ourselves to our ideas. Right, because in our world, we really conflate our egos with our ideas. Okay, you gotta do the conflate thing. Conflate? Yeah. Um, oh, come on, I should That's have like come up equate. with something funny. Conflate. <laughs> yeah. So that word means to, to equate or to confuse hmm. something in an equating sort of way. So we think, here's my ego. And my ego latches on to ideas and says, that's me. Mm, it gets confused and thinks, my ideas are who I am. Yes. Okay. Which is interesting because I'm thinking about our culture, our standard American culture. And we really tend to value this conflating the ego with ideas. <laughs> you know, you look at let's take politics you look at leaders we want leaders who are not changing their mind they're not going to waffle we don't want people that sit on the fence we don't want someone who's questioning things hmm boy i don't know yeah you imagine somebody getting up to speak to people to try to get their votes you know the, the leaders that we vote for these days are the people that say i feel completely strongly about whatever the issue is yeah. climate change um, gun rights, uh, pro-choice, pro-life, whatever it is. In fact, if they're ravingly, lunatically, obsessively Maniacal. strong on that position, then we tend to vote for them. And we hardly would ever vote for somebody who got up and said, well, here's how I see this issue right now from what's what I've experienced and the evidence I've had thus far. Of course, I'm open to new evidence, changing my mind about that. So I can't tell you exactly how I'd vote in the future on things because I'm always going to be open to new evidence and, and listening to people and 
trying to see the whole picture and the whole story. Yeah, and I'm not sure that would go over. I think it would be cool. <laughs> I know a lot of other people who think that would be cool too, but as a whole, I don't not sure our culture would go for that. We want someone who has strong ideas from which you do not waver. Yeah. Which unfortunately then, strong ideas from which you do not waver ever kind of is dangerous. I mean, obviously it can lead to stagnation, but it also has other negatives too. Yeah, I mean, this is asking that, that question of why is wisdom important? Isn't it better if we just stick to our guns and don't waver? Oh gosh, hearing you say that, I'm a little like, blah, stick to your guns. <laughs> it's like, hold your guns and hold your position and fire on anybody who's not going to mm. agree with you. And that's really scary because what that essentially is showing us is why wisdom is important. If you stick to your guns, that becomes literal over time. We get entrenched in our ideas. We think they're our ideas are us and anybody who doesn't agree with our ideas becomes the other. They become the enemy. We get conflict, literal external wars and, and violence. Yeah, that is the, the road it goes down. The road away from wisdom is the road towards conflict. And we've seen this throughout human history where people get latched onto ideas so strongly that eventually they are fighting each other and not recognizing that they are conflating ego with our idea. Wow. But not only does it lead to external conflict, also, and maybe this is even more important, it breeds inner conflict. Ooh, yeah. Now, you and I have always run Rewild University and our whole mission on the concept that every single human being has within them what we call their inner wisdom. Mm -hmm. An innate understanding. Uh, it's what we were speaking about, an ability to see from more than one perspective. We all have it. Everybody, everybody who's listening, everybody that you meet, whether you think they do or not, it's there, it's a seed. But the choice becomes, do we listen to it? Do we cultivate it? Or do we just let it get buried? And it's easy to let it get buried in today's world where we're not seeing a value in wisdom. We're seeing a value in being hardline. Yeah. And the more we fall into that, the more we are unable to hear the voice of our inner wisdom. And I think it's very apt when you say that that inner conflict is maybe more important to look at than the outer conflict. Because that inner conflict, psychologists would probably call it cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. So I hold an idea in my head, but my actions may not correspond to that idea. And that creates a stress. So I, I believe that plastic is terrible. We've walked on the beaches and seen the damage it's doing on the beaches. Yeah. And we read about how it's breaking up into microplastics and just doing so much damage to the environment. But then yeah. we go to the store and buy a plastic container there's a little inner stressor, our, oh, yeah. our inner wisdom is going, wait, wait. But we try to bury that because it's, it's too stressful. It's kind of painful over time in a chronic way. So all this gets buried so that we, we don't have to be in that state of cognitive dissonance. But I think the truth is we are all the time. It's just so low level in the background, but it's affecting how we feel about ourselves and I'm at war with myself, essentially, and then it becomes very easy to be at war with others. Well, our ego 
that's its sole purpose is to crystallize things, protect us and say, we are right. So you crystallize an idea, mm -hmm. even though I think our innate wisdom, which we all possess is there. It's kind of crying out. No, no, there's more to an issue that little ego says, nope, nope. It's just, it's black and white. And it's always, of course, black and white in my favor. Mm -hmm. I'm the right one. I mean, think about debate class. We learn how to undermine the other side. We don't say, <laughs> let's go to debate and let's actually debate this. And we don't learn how to like, deeply listen to the other side, consider the evidence, and then maybe go, whoa, actually, I'm going to switch what I'm arguing for. That's not the point. Isn't that funny? It's the same thing when we're talking about the politicians getting the votes. Yeah. That's the same thing we learn in debate class. You want to have really strong arguments. You want to blow the other person out of the water. In fact, am I correct here that someone wins the debate because they were a better arguer? I don't know. I, I, I can't say anything. I just, I <laughs> debate made me nervous. I was like, but, <laughs> but, but wait, because I think for me, I believe that you can see a, from all those different perspectives. Oh, that's a really useful ability. Uh, we have a, we have a quote oh. that we like by F. Scott Fitzgerald. The test of a first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. In a true debate, someone would lay out maybe not just two sides, but five sides mm -hmm. and say, hey, consider this, consider that. And maybe everyone would think, oh, okay. And you would start to listen. But then if you had a thought about one of those aspects, you would bring it forth and say, well, here's some evidence for this. Yeah. It's the opposite of cognitive dissonance, I guess, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The ability to hold those two ideas and still function, still be able to think, not be under stress. That is such a different way of seeing the world. So the UBI video that we did recently, mm -hmm. somebody commented and said, what I really appreciate in this video is you didn't tell us what to think. Mm. You just tried to help us think for ourselves. Yeah, it's the whole, if you teach a man to fish, Right. Which is really, really important. And I, I want to just jump in with this sort of sideline tangent. It okay. still relates. Not only is wisdom the ability to hold those two different ideas, it's also the ability to hold different emotions. Mm. And I think we're not taught that you can feel both sad and excited at the same time. You can be both frustrated but delighted. You can have these, and usually it's deeper emotions. You're both sad and mad or you're happy, but not. When we run into that, also we have that cognitive dissidence. Again, it comes down to that standard American culture's message, pick one thing and stick to it. Pick one emotion. You can mm. only have one emotion at the same time. You can only hold one idea, but that is not true. To stick on your tangent for a little bit there, that's kind of the way of our world. I feel like it really wants to simplify things, to make everything comfortable by having these clean definitions. Yeah. You know, you talk about emotions and if I feel sad today and you say you feel sad, are we feeling the same emotion? Yeah. We're having different feelings that are going through the unique filters of our personalities. And yet we've learned to label these things and to say, well, there's, I don't know how many emotions there are, but not that many. Correct. But really, there's probably millions of emotions. Well, and they really only fall into two categories, positive emotions and negative emotions, hmm. which again, it's a stew pot. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important that we realize that we have this inner wisdom, this inner voice, 
and it is able to hold all of those differing ideas, emotions, etc., and still function. That inner voice is there inside each of us. We get to the, have the choice. Do I cultivate it? Do I learn to hear that? Because what we have often in our lives, this is what it feels like just to me personally, is my ego and a million other egos going, no, listen to us, no, we're right, no, you want to do this, no, don't look like a fool, no, don't follow that, follow me. <laughs> and I'm sure, how many times have any of you out there been in a situation where the trajectory is going in one direction, but your little inner wisdom voice says, this doesn't feel right. I feel like it's, that's not the way to go. Hmm. The egos love to just grab together into big herds. You know, you've heard that derogatory term sheeple, but Hey, safety in numbers, right? It's, it's probably born out of our positive here. You're talking about positive (laughs) urges to be in community with those around us. But the darker side of that is when it becomes egos glomming together in order to shout out an idea so loudly that they can't hear any other voices except their own. Yeah, we narrow it down to there's only one perspective. Hmm. Now, before we move on, I have to say that you've put me actually into a position of having to think about one of my ideas because you said, oh, when we break the emotions up into positive and negative, and that's actually a tool that I use all the time in the stuff that I share with, with people is that there's two kinds of emotions. The one is a resistance-based emotion, frustration and other things. And we deal with those completely differently than the quote, positive emotions, as you call them. So there you challenge that idea. And if I wanna lay any claim to even the tiniest bit of wisdom, then my job is to stop and to think about what you said and what relevance that might have. And maybe I need to switch off how I talk about emotions with people Mm. and say, is that tool useful? And if it is still useful, is there a way that I can qualify it so people don't think that it's an underlying truth? Wow, that's amazing. I think that's very inspiring that you said that. And I want to also say that there are times when saying something is black or white, we want to do for whatever reason. So I think, again, language and our ideas, to me, it breaks down into they should be tools that we use and not things that dictate our life. So Mm. if it is helpful for people for you to break it down a little bit, then that's great and we should use that. But as you said, we should realize that's a tool that we're using. Difference between saying, here's a tool that we, or a lens or filter through which we're gonna view reality and interact with reality, but my idea, that is not reality. Yeah, reality is something that we probably really in the end, can't put words on. And that gets a little bit beyond the scope of this episode. Okay, we better get back Okay, on. can I say it? Chat, go ahead. Okay, it's time for you to unleash your life. Yeah. Yes, so we are seeing wisdom is essential and really, really important. But how do we cultivate wisdom? How do we get there? I think, I mean, this is, this is gonna be maybe a tough way to start out the action points because it's asking us to take it head on. That's okay, you guys can handle it. I believe in you. (laughs) There are other action points I think will give steps up to this place, but this one's summed up by a quote, and it actually was 
on, I believe on that UBI video. Okay. And it was a comment that somebody left. Awesome. It's quite succinct. And this is what he or she said. Every day I try to unlearn something that I hold to be self-evident. Wow. Whoa. Now that. Whoever you are, you rock. <laughs> People have YouTube names and so you can't always see what their real name is. But that statement sums up, I think, what wisdom is about. Mm. And that's taking it pretty far. Something that you hold to be self-evident. In other words, something that your ego mind, your idea mind, has settled on so deeply, crystallized so strongly that you don't even question it. Yeah. Wow. So here's the action point, the, the challenge, if you will. Examine one of your strongly held beliefs and try to poke holes in it. Imagine that you're arguing the other side. Look for evidence that says you're completely wrong. And again, it doesn't even have to be something that is contentious. It doesn't have to be, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice, I'm this, I'm that. It could be time. What do I think about time? Do I believe time is real? How do I know that there's really time? Mm. Could be all sorts of different things. So pick something that you just take completely for granted. This is the truth. This is the way of things. And see if you can convince yourself that the opposite is true. Now, the ego may fear to do this. It will say, no, this just, if I'm, let's say, religious of whatever religious persuasion you want to choose, no, I'm not going to look at my thing and try to poke holes in it. That would be against everything I believe and everything. And we can sometimes tell that ego to relax a little bit because often if we look at something really carefully, our belief as often as not hmm. will become stronger because we'll find more evidence. But we don't do that unless we really try to poke holes in it. We really try to find its weaknesses because our inner wisdom knows those weaknesses are there and is constantly creating that state of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. That ego is tricksy. Oh, super tricksy. Yeah. So we've got to watch out for it. And I think that's important to remember through all of this, that our ego is going to flare up and the ego's job is just to keep us safe. Mm. So it's not bad in that respect, but we need to realize the ego is going to step in and we have to start watching for it, like a little mole popping its head out of a hole. <laughs> it's As a rule, the ego is extremely reactive and quick to jump to defense. Yeah. Not very good at listening and broadening. Quick to judge, too. Um, well, let's go to action point number two, which is to cultivate compassion. Oh, wow. Hey, this is put yourself in another's place. Wear someone Yay. else's shoes. Yeah, look at you. You're doing it. <laughs> oh, I wish this was taught in schools. Yeah, I do too. That I should think be an episode. The important thing is really to remember that everyone's a human being. Everyone's an organic whole that is not just them. It's not just me. I live in a world with other holistic beings mm -hmm. and things that happen. And so I think it's important to realize that people have things happen in their life that they're not going to say to us. Again, I wish for those thought bubbles that you could have over each person's head, which would say, hey, before you judge me too strongly, realize that my cat died this morning or I grew up in a racist household. I'm only 16 and I don't know what I think yet, but every time I bring up something opposite of my family's belief, I'm shot down and I'm belittled. That is so important. If we could somehow see beyond that superficial 
facade that we're seeing when we see another human being. You know, that person may be subject to beating when they voice another idea. We don't see that, you know, some people hide the bruises really well. What aren't we seeing when we look at another person? If we ask that question, what aren't we seeing? Yeah. Then we start to realize that there's probably a lot more to the story yeah. than we know. It isn't black or white. I think it's best if we take the tack of assuming the best in another person and then asking how, if it were me, what would it take? How would I get to that place that they are? And not taking into account where I am now, how I've evolved, but saying, boy, if I was in their position, boy, what would it take for me to be like that, to get to that level where I reacted like that? What, what would make me say that same thing, perform that same action? I think it's really easy to think, well, I would never say that, or I would never do that. Mm -hmm. And but we have to realize that we're coming from our perspective, the strength that we've built up in our life. If we had been brought up being beaten every day and told the same thing, and there was alcohol constantly in our life, and maybe someone's even shooting me up with drugs against my will, what kind of situations are people in? We don't know. Yeah. And how would I be strong enough in a situation like that to have this great foundation of, of values and probably not. Yeah. So I don't think what we're trying to do is excuse people from their actions, but try to have compassion and understanding what would cause someone to be, think or do what they're doing and just try to get into their shoes a little bit more. Because that's where people can start to take responsibility for their actions. When someone, I think, finally comes up and says, look, I see you. I see that maybe you've experienced some stuff that is beyond what I can even imagine. Mm -hmm. And if you need someone to stand beside you and help you to take responsibility for your actions and shift and change, I'm here for you. And that appeals to the strongest, deepest, best parts of us. Yeah, it gets all the way down to where that inner wisdom is buried. All right. Number three, develop curiosity. The opposite of judgment. So our mind loves to jump to judgment, our ego mind, and to look at a situation and say, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I see it. I know, I know, everything about I know. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it all. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's, it is kind of laughable that an ego would think that it can see so little evidence and then know the whole situation oh it reminds me i think again tell me if you haven't experienced this where you make a snap judgment you treat someone some way and then you find out that oops what they did was an accident and i'm trying to think of an example <laughs> where let's say i mean sometimes happens with the girls i'm like why didn't you do that and then they're like they come and they're like oh i stubbed my toe and, I, and you're like oh whoops <laughs> and there's that feeling of chagrin of like oh i jumped to a conclusion really quickly there yeah yeah well, let's give an example of how to get curious about life. Do you have an example? Yeah, this one can probably apply to most of our lives. So you're at home and your child, spouse, roommate, Pick somebody important. comes back home or calls you up or whatever it is, and they just start laying into you. 
You didn't do the dishes again. I am so tired. This house is always a mess. And I don't all oh, at work and you just sit around here and what good are you? I am just <laughs> bad enough. <laughs> well, okay, so I feel like the opposite of curiosity is judgment and our judgment that ego mind is going to jump in right away and say excuse me you have no right to talk to me like that right absolutely I'm this and this and this and this yeah and, and we completely no, react <laughs> the ego mind it's like i'm going to defend react defend protect <laughs> so then what does curiosity do curiosity says okay this is not completely normal behavior from this person so i wonder Use that magic word. Mm. I wonder. I wonder what has brought them to such a stress level that they're feeling like they need to lash out like this. And gosh, I might even think with some compassion, it's it's kind of nice that they feel comfortable enough with me that I can be their punching bag for a little bit and they trust me not to react and to do what I'm just about to do, which is to say, wow, I'm here with you. I don't know what's going on, but I want to hear you. And if you need to just vent for a little bit longer, that's okay. But if you want to share, I'm just, I'm here. Open door, open space, waiting, listening. And that is the nature of curiosity. Mm. And it completely changes the whole dynamics of that situation. Yeah. From turning into a giant argument spat into usually pulling the rug out from the anger and the frustration and the stress. And as often as not, when you meet someone like that, within five or 10 minutes, there's gonna be more venting often, mm -hmm. but within five or 10 minutes, that's gonna turn in, maybe into tears and Well, it's and probably gonna reach and... the deeper issue, which again, it clears away all of the things that bury our inner wisdom. Mm. And it allows that person to go deep and say, actually, this happened at work. I'm really hurt about it. I don't know what to do. I'm scared or whatever. It gets to that really base level that yeah. then we can look at and if we have someone with us it's not so scary especially if they are compassionate they are curious and they are trying to help you examine and be with you then it's just like such a gift mm. yeah wow curiosity is amazing i think what it does is it says okay little ego mind you think you know everything but i wonder what there is that we don't know. <laughs> and the answer is there's way more that we don't know than we do. Number four. Yeah. Pursue non-attachment. Boy, that sounds all like Zen woo-woo, doesn't it? <laughs> Pursue non-attachment. Oh. <laughs> that is, this is a tough one. It is standard fare in wisdom cultures. But in our culture, we are just not taught it. The basic idea is that we don't attach our ego with our ideas. In other words, we don't conflate. Mm. I love that word. Okay, <laughs> the next, this is a secret extra credit challenge. Use the word conflate sometime in a conversation in the next two days and see what happens. Ooh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Extra credit points. <laughs> Wisdom points? <laughs> Wisdom points. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> don't attach your ego with your ideas. Now, that's one thing to say. Okay, don't do it. But how? <laughs> Do we not do it? <laughs> well, I'm going to speak first to daily life. And then you can bring up all yeah. your little... Woo -woo. Yeah, okay. yeah. So for me, I notice one big thing in attachment and non-attachment in daily life is that 
I am controlling. Oh gosh, there I said it in front of who knows how many people are listening to this. I am controlling. I have always been a controlling person. And I'm, so not only am I a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist, I am a controller and that, and I'm stubborn. So boy, throw that in there. So what I try in this non-attachment exercise is on a daily basis to ask myself, is the world going to end if my child spills grape juice on the table? Is my world going to end if I don't get X, Y, and Z done on my list? Am Ooh. I a terrible person if I just say, you know what? Everybody's kind of grumpy. Let's not do homeschool today. Let's just go outside. Is the world going to end? Is someone going to be terribly inextricably mm. injured? Is, is it really that big of a deal? So in other words, you're putting a perspective right on these things that your ego mind wants to control yeah it's very attached to well the clothes should be folded like that and put away and you know i'm kind of a neatnik and i want this to go there and that to go there don't put that bowl there that's not where it lives but if i can get away from that and the seriousness of it control equals seriousness and seriousness doesn't have any curiosity it often doesn't have compassion it often doesn't have examining deeply held beliefs seriousness just says this is the way it is and that's that well that's what i like so much about this little exercise you're proposing to say will it be the end of the world it makes it so dramatic that it brings humor into <laughs> yeah. it it undermines the seriousness yeah and maybe gets you laughing instead of you're right if i think about times i want to control things it's very tight and serious. Yes, and feeling. you get frustrated and you can feel the tension. Yeah, as if you I said. If I start laughing, that that evaporates. I can't try to control anything when I'm laughing. Yeah, well, in, in being over dramatic, it helps me to realize that my little ego, little, the little moles popping up out of the hole, going beep, 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 and it helps <laughs> me to realize, hey, look, is it going to be the end of the world? Listen, little me, I can see you're here. <laughs> So that's just one way that I deal with that on a daily basis. And I suggest that you just try it. Notice once in a while where you want to step forward, correct something or change something or control something and just ask yourself, would it be the end of the world if that doesn't happen? You just let it be the way it is. Um, oh my gosh. So much relief comes from that <laughs> and just so much joy. Well, the woo side of this, and it's actually not very woo because at this point, there's so much science behind meditation and mindfulness that it's kind of a, a no-brainer, for, forget the pun. Uh, <laughs> it's very important for us to have at least a basic meditation and mindfulness practice in our lives. And one of the first things as we begin a meditative journey that we discover is that we are capable of watching our mind's activity. So it is as if we are a, a person sitting cross-legged in a field, watching the clouds above us, the sky. And those clouds are our thoughts, and they pass across the sky, and they change and they morph, and sometimes they have beautiful colors, and sometimes they're gray, but they all are passing. They are all temporal, and they are not us. Mm. We do not equate ourselves, conflate, conflate ourselves <laughs> with our thoughts or our mind's activity. The more I meditate and practice mindfulness, the more we naturally will begin to see this truth, I will say, 
about human nature, that our thoughts, our mind's activity, that is not us. Hmm. And we are capable of watching them. When we do that, we achieve this, quote, non-attachment. We can see, oh, look, there is the fear sensation of my ego, this cloud up there, wanting to conflate itself with this idea that it holds so strongly and it's getting the whole system that is me into a state of fight or flight. Hmm. It's dragging me into my sympathetic nervous system and wow, but I'm still here able to witness this and in the witnessing, Hmm. just in the witnessing, we see that self-evident truth that appears when we begin a mindfulness practice. And when we see that self-evident truth, we begin to live by it more and more. We realize that is not me. These thoughts are not I. Those thoughts are just a passing cloud. Wow. So what would you recommend for people if you wanted to start with a basic meditation and mindfulness practice? There's so many types of meditation being promoted at this point that the benefit is that you can probably find something that works for you. The disadvantage, of course, is that sometimes it can be overwhelming. You can look online and see so many. Oh yeah, it's like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors of ice cream. Oh, which one do I choose? (laughs) Naturally, I would probably recommend the things that have worked best for me. And those are things like the dancing monkey meditation Mm. that we created. And that I believe is on the Kenton Whitman YouTube channel okay. rather than the Rewild University. Can we put a link one. to it? Yeah, we could put that down okay. there. And there's the one breath meditation. These are some ways to get started. If you already have a meditation practice, we're probably not talking to you here because you know what works for you. But if you don't, these are two meditations that can really start you off in a good way and show you what your mind is capable of. And I would just add for the mindfulness part that the noticing, as you said, in your daily life, oh, look it, I'm attached. Oh, look it, I want to control. Oh, I'm in this conversation and I've crystallized a judgment about this person. Simply stopping and noticing is the same as seeing that thought cloud. Mm. And then when you're aware, the awareness is the key. The awareness gives you a choice. From there, you can choose. Do you follow the ego? Or do you decide to unbury and cultivate your inner wisdom? You know what I've just realized? Do tell. Your feet are smaller than my feet. <laughs> no. I'm still not going to fit into If we squeeze shoe. hard enough, you could get in there. Oh, my gosh. And then walk around. I have a better idea. Let's just find Liliana and have her put the shoe on and ask her where. And we'll see what we can get from there. Oh. She's probably the best judge of what it is. And if we need to... We'll just get new shoes. That would add more plastic and consumptiveness. To oh them. my gosh. I'm having cognitive <laughs> dissonance. <laughs> dissonance. <laughs> okay, I know the best thing. Thrift shop. See, <laughs> this all works out. <laughs> there are so many options. It's very true. And I'm sure upon reflection, we will find the wisest choice for us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us. And please send us an email right in the comments and let us know about your journey with wisdom. Love to you all. Can't wait to talk with you.